Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. What I'm about to share with you, ladies and gentlemen, is a private communication. Actually, it's semi-private. It comes from a post on our Cross-Examine community, which is a behind-a-wall place where we exchange ideas. I'll tell you about that later. I asked the person that put this post up if I could read this to you, and he agreed. I'll keep his name out of it, but here's what he wrote, and I think this is going to be helpful to many of us. He said, I just listened to the podcast from CIA where Frank interviewed Natasha Crane and Elisa Childers. So this goes back a couple of weeks ago, friends. These interviews were spot on. While we tried to provide a solid Christian upbringing for our two kids, my wife unfortunately passed away from cancer when my daughter was 11 and my son was 14. This was nine years ago. Now, one is entering her senior year in college while the other just finished grad school. It sounds like my kids have gone through this deconstruction, he puts that in quotes, uh, this deconstruction process of sorts. I've never heard of this term before, so I'm not really sure how it's defined. Natasha talked about the authority-based worldview in the self, which secular people have, and the corresponding four tenets they tend to believe. Feelings are the ultimate guide, happiness is the ultimate goal, judging is the ultimate sin, and God is the ultimate guess. Nailed it, at least for my kids, this poster says. He goes on to say this. I like how Elisa pointed out, by the way, before I go on, uh, those four tenets of secularism, number one, feelings are the ultimate guide, happiness is the ultimate goal is number two, number three, judging is the ultimate sin, and number four, God is the ultimate guest. That comes from Natasha's book, uh, Faithfully Different. We've had Natasha on the program not only two weeks ago, but uh, when her book came out several months ago. So you can search the podcast archives for that. That's a very good insight, I think, from Natasha that secular people have the self as their authority. And so feelings are the ultimate guide. Happiness is the ultimate goal. Judging is the ultimate sin. And God is the ultimate guess. And so this guy says, that really nailed it, for, at least for my kids. And then he goes on to say this. I like how Elisa Childers pointed out that deconstruction does not necessarily lead to deconversion. He says, my kids actively participate whenever I lead us in prayer. Yet it is a deconversion of sorts because it is a deconversion from the authority of Scripture to the authority of self. Did you get that? It's a deconversion from the authority of Scripture. We might even say the authority of God to the authority of self. He goes on. Over the last nine years, remember his wife, these children, the, the, the children's mother whom he's talking about died nine years ago. He says, over the last nine years, I have watched the shift of how my daughter, especially, is lining up her beliefs with her unreliable 
eternal moral compass, which is now very strongly governed by her feelings. He puts that in capitals. Feelings. While my daughter believes that objective truth does exist, she calls it universal truth, she sincerely believes that objective truth cannot be reliably known. She also said she is not sure if she will ever see her mother again in the afterlife because there is no way to confidently know this, which truly saddens me. Elisa pointed out the very suspicion, he capitalizes that, the very suspicion my daughter possesses when Christians, myself included, claim to know about objective truth because she does not believe that real knowledge of objective truth is at all possible. Let me stop right here for just a minute. Those of you who are astute intellectually at this point, logical thinkers will realize that obviously this is a self-defeating claim to say, I can't know objective truth because that person is claiming that that very claim is an objective truth. It's like saying, I can't know anything. Well, how do you know that? Anyway, he goes on to say this, and as Elisa pointed out so well, any truth claim Christians make about things like morality, sexuality, or religion are seen as power grabs, and saying that people should behave a certain way is just an oppressive means of controlling people. Because of their perception, garnered through our public schools, of being raised in an oppressive household with oppressive ideals, and then he says the oppressive ideals are being pro-life, sex confined to the marital relationship, supportive natural marriage, etc. He says, I am not perceived by my own kids as a safe person, and I am actually viewed by them as harmful. How tragic is that? Your own kids think you're harmful and you're not safe because you believe that there is objective truth and you can know it. He goes on to say, thanks, Frank, for having these guests on your podcast and for sharing this information with us. My kids' shift in thinking is starting to make sense to me, even though not logically sound. They are politically progressive, he puts that in quotes, registered as Democrats, but only because they need the numbers. And although I am actually moderate in my political beliefs, I am viewed by them as dangerously alt-right. Unfortunately, any discussion of politics, religion, or morality only seems to break our family bond apart. And these topics only cause disharmony within our family unit. Pointing out contradictions and discrepancies, no matter how gentle and loving, are considered with a hostile, you don't just get it. He puts that in quotes. If authority is based on the self and feelings are supposedly reliable, he puts that in quotes, then it makes sense that logic is overruled and I have no argument. So for me to insist on a logical argument is to insist on being argumentative. I will keep patient and continue to love them and keep them in prayer, and I appreciate prayers from this community too, unquote. 
Okay, the community of which he speaks is a new community we started a month or so ago, maybe two months ago now, called the Cross-Examined Community. And the reason we started this is because we wanted people to put up posts like this where they could speak freely among other Christians and, and, and be able to get good advice, good discipleship, good insight without trolls, without insults, without people calling them names, to have a real uh, beneficial exchange of ideas between fellow Christians. That's why we started this. And we don't we want to make sure that your boss can't see what you're talking about, that your future employer can't see what you're talking about, that you can be as honest as you want on this cross-examined community without fear of reprisal. That's why we started it. And it's, I don't know, it's like $9.99 a month if you want to be a part of it. And the only reason we have to charge anything is to keep the trolls out and to pay for the coding which goes behind it to maintain it. But it's inexpensive. If you want to be a part of it, uh, just go to crossexamine.org, click on cross-examine community, and you can join it. And there's like a seven-day free trial period. Anyway, what I want to do after the break is get back to what he said and respond to it and uh, point out that people who claim there is no objective truth have a list of objective truths a mile long that they believe in. And we're going to unpack that right after the break. In the meantime, there is an objective truth out there, and you can know it, and that is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and the New Testament documents and the entire Bible is reliable. And you can learn more about that in the course that Jay Warner Wallace is about to teach beginning next week called Cold Case Christianity. Can you make the case? Well, you can if you join. And if you join the premium version, you're going to be on Zoom seven or eight occasions with Jim Wallace himself. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. The course starts next week, August 31st. If you're listening to this after that, you can still join. Check it out. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. Uh, that is the American Family Association. Great people there. I want to mention that I'm going to be near Tampa, Florida at a Rise Church, actually in Brandon, Florida, this weekend, Friday, August 26th, Saturday, August 27th, then the Sunday services, August 28th. We're going to be doing I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and we're going to be taking questions. So if you're anywhere near the Tampa area, it's actually Brandon, Florida, just east of Tampa, uh, check out our website, crossexamine.org. Go to the events button up there and see my calendar there, and you can see the details there. I hope to see you. If you're anywhere near central Florida, the great state of Florida, uh, I'll see you this weekend, hopefully. All right, let's go back to what we were talking about. Before the break, I had read a post from our cross-examined community about a man whose two children have drifted away from the faith and basically have gone quite left theologically and apparently politically as well. So I emailed him and I asked him if I could if I could read his post, because it's a private community, the cross-examined community, on the podcast, and he agreed. I just kept his name out of it. And then he went on to say this. Uh, he said, you can even mention that my daughter has been on four mission trips and committed via baptism in the Jordan River just four years ago. But now everything that comes out of her mouth are things like defund the police, America is a bad nation, and Americans are bad, borders should be wide open, and we are entitled to this and entitled to that, etc. 
Now, several people have responded on the cross-examined community to help this man out. And uh, here's what I said. And I I just gave him a brief response, but I'm going to give a more robust response here on the podcast. I said, uh, this is a hard situation. And I know that logic might not work at this point. That's what he even said in his post. However, notice that when people say they just can't be sure of objective truth, they are uttering an objective truth. People who were truly agnostic would say, you know what, Dad? You could be right. But they don't say that. Despite saying that they think they can't know objective truth, they think it's objectively true that you, as an evangelical Christian, are definitely wrong. You notice that? And and that is just as dogmatic a position as they claim that you have. You know, perhaps it might be wise at some point, at the right time, to ask them, if you were being deceived about something, would you want to know it? Sometimes the question is put this way. Uh, if you were wrong about something, would you want to know it? Uh, that question uh, might be a little bit too forward. It might put people on the defensive. But if you were to say, if you were being deceived about something, would you want to know it? Because nobody likes to be deceived, right? So if you change, if you were wrong about something, to if you were deceived about something, would you want to know it? Because then it seems like, well, you're not really responsible because the biggest problem with deception is you, you never know when you're being deceived. That's the whole point, right? If you knew you were being deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. But it's, it's sort of out of your responsibility in some instances. When you're deceived, you don't know it, right? Now, maybe in some instances you should have known otherwise. I get that. But saying if you were being deceived about something, would you want to know it? It's a softer way of getting them to be open to the question. So they could say, well, yeah, obviously I don't want to be deceived. Okay. And then of course the question, if Christianity were true and you could know it were true, would you become a Christian? Or if Jesus rose from the dead and you could know he rose from the dead, would you follow him? That sort of keeps Christianity out of it because people have a negative idea of Christianity. And by the way, as we've talked about before, let me mention this again, because I think it's a brilliant insight. John Dixon from uh, Down Under, an historian Down Under, who I've had on the podcast for his uh, good book, very good book called Bullies and Saints. It's a book about the, about the, uh, the history of the church, century by century. John Dixon puts it this way in his book. He says, if somebody plays Beethoven poorly, or if somebody plays Bach poorly, who do you blame? right? You don't blame Beethoven. Something just fell off my shelf. Did you hear that? Yeah, it was a book. I don't know how that happened. Anyway, if somebody plays Bach poorly, who do you blame? You don't blame Bach. If somebody plays Beethoven poorly, who do you blame? You don't blame Beethoven. If somebody plays your favorite band poorly, a copy band, they play it poorly. You don't blame your favorite band. You blame the copy band. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to Christianity. If somebody plays Jesus poorly, you don't blame Jesus. If somebody doesn't live up to the standards of Jesus, if somebody isn't true and beautiful like Jesus, that doesn't mean Jesus isn't true and beautiful. I mean, newsflash, ladies and gentlemen, Christianity is not Christians. Christianity is Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We're not perfect. Of course, we're not perfect. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. So if people are put off by Christianity, you may want to gently point out, that Christianity doesn't rise or fall on the behavior of Christians. Christianity is true 
or it's not true, based on Jesus. Now, it is true because Jesus did live, did claim to be God, did rise from the dead. And so Christianity is all about Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. But it wouldn't make any sense to stay away from the truth just because somebody who claims to also know that truth doesn't carry it out well. That doesn't follow. In any event, notice that um, when this young girl went off to college and this father said, now that she's, despite the fact, gone on four mission trips and has been baptized, she's very far left theologically now and very far left politically now. Uh, it, It reminded me of something from a couple of weeks ago, I went and spoke at uh, the TPUSA Pastors Summit, Charlie Kirk's organization, great organization, and a number of pastors spoke and other speakers spoke. And one speaker got up and said, here's the summary of what's happening in our public schools. Our kids are being taught to hate God, hate their country, and hate themselves. Hate God, hate their country, and hate themselves. I mean, think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, America is not a perfect place. America has had sins in its past and even sins now, just like every country. But where would you rather live? I mean, really, where would you rather live? Just ask people who say, well, America is really bad. Oh, okay, what's better? Where would you rather go? Go there then, if you think it's better. Whenever you ask that question, people are flummoxed. Of course we have our problems because we're fallen. All of us are fallen. No matter whether we're Americans or we're non-Americans, we're all fallen. We all have problems. Yes, there's injustice. There's injustice in every country. But is America bad? If it is, it's being, it's being brought into a bad place by the left. And yes, yeah, there are some negative players on the right. I get it. But where would you rather live? Where would you rather live? Why are, why are our kids being taught to hate God, hate their country, and hate themselves? Why is that? In fact, I, I just came back last night from Summit Ministries, great ministry out there in Manitou Springs, Colorado. We're on final approach here in Charlotte. And uh, just within the past few years, Amazon.com built an absolutely humongous warehouse right next to the airport for obvious reasons, right? And as we're coming in on final, I'm looking down. I mean, this building has got to be, I don't know, four or five foot be- football fields long and two or three wide, okay? I mean, this is humongous, humongous Amazon distribution center. And I'm looking down, and I see just semi-tractor trailer after semi-tractor trailer just lined up, waiting to take loads out or bring loads in, whatever they were doing. Now, why is that? Because this is the land of the free. This is the land of opportunity. This is the land where people can actually can actually work hard and be rewarded for it. This is unlike many other places around the world, most other places around the world. We have a free enterprise system where people are motivated to go out there and make something of themselves, make themselves better, make their fellow citizens better by working hard. So why would you want to stop that? Well, I'm getting a little bit off track from our talk here. I just happened to notice that flying in. This is the land of opportunity. And free enterprise has brought more people out of poverty and given them opportunity than any other system. Is it a perfect system? Of course not. It's just the least worst system. Or it's the best of 
all systems that have flaws. And yet people want to tear it down. People want to say, well, the government should do everything. The government should provide it. No, the government can't provide everything. It doesn't have the ability, motivation, incentive, capacity to do so. It's a misunderstanding of human nature to think that government can set production, set prices, and provide everything. It doesn't work that way. Everywhere it's tried, it doesn't work. Why? Because it misunderstands human nature. Human beings need incentive to work. You don't give human beings incentive to work, many of them won't do it. And you're going to get a shoddy product, shoddy production, and shoddy outcomes. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm going way off topic here, but uh, it just frosts me when, when our kids are being taught to hate America. Yeah, America can improve. We get that. But it's not a bad place. In fact, it's the best place to live in the world. Now, let me go back to the idea that many people on the theological and political left, and this is true in what is known as progressive Christianity, this is what Elisa Childers, our friend, is very, uh, very astute at dealing with uh, so-called progressive Christians. And my point is, you're not progressive if you're going in the opposite direction of Jesus, and you're not a Christian if you're disagreeing with Jesus, but that's what they call themselves, progressive Christians. These are the people that tend to say, well, we really can't know truth. We really can't know objective truth. Now, you might want to ask these people some questions. You might want to ask them questions like, do you want your doctor to say, I can't know what your disease is or how to treat it? No, you expect your doctor to know the objective or objectively know or know the objective truth about your disease and what treatment is going to help heal you. You don't want them to say, well, you know, I really can't know it. Or you don't, you might want to ask them, do you want your financial advisor to say, you know, I, I can't really know what a good investment is from a bad investment. I, I just can't know it. I just can't know objective truth. Or do you want police officers to say, you know, I really can't know the difference between a legal arrest and say an abusive and unjust arrest. No, you, you're going to call those police officers, particularly if you're on the left and even on the right, we ought to call our police officers, obviously, to right behavior. But the left is always talking about how bad the police are. And the most, the dumbest political idea I've heard in the past three years is defund the police. Again, it misunderstands human nature. But if you're going to say you need to defund the police because they're evil, are you saying the police are objectively evil? How do you know that if you can't know objective truth? I mean, this is sophistry, ladies and gentlemen. But you need to be able to point it out. And we'll point more of it out right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, on the American Family Radio Network. Website, crossexamine.org. Crossexamine with a D on the end of it. Check it out. Also, our YouTube channel, two words, crossexamine. Back in two minutes. You can't know objective truth. Do you know that's objectively true? Yeah, you need to know basic logic, ladies and gentlemen, to not be deceived by the slogans and claims that you are seeing, that you're seeing all over the culture now, whether it's on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube or even in the classroom nowadays, you've got people claiming there is no objective truth and you can't know it. Well, what am I paying you for then, professor? I mean, what am I here to learn? Just your opinions? Or am I here to learn truth? So you may want to ask people who say they can't know objective truth. 
the questions I mentioned before the break. You might also ask them, do you want your spouse to say, you know, I can't know whether or not I ought to be faithful. I just can't know it. I, I can't even know what true adultery is and what isn't. I mean, this goes back to Bill Clinton. It depends on what is, is, right? <laughs> Those who are old enough know what that reference is about. Um, it's just postmodern, relativistic, self-defeating philosophy that we need to expose. And we need to expose it in a way that people can understand it. And sometimes it just takes asking a few questions. I mean, think about this. For people who say that no one can know the truth, these are the same people that have a list a mile long of objective truths they claim to know. For example, you might ask a person like that, are you saying you don't know racism's wrong? Or you don't know what racism is? Isn't it interesting? <laughs> you might get a blank stare when you ask them, do you know what a woman is? Matt Walsh, of course, in his little documentary, What's a Woman, has asked academic after academic that question, and they squirm in their chairs because they don't want to answer what a woman is. They know what a woman is, but they don't want to answer it. In fact, we, uh, I just tweeted one of his clips out on, our, on my Twitter feed, and it's this professor, I think, from the University of Tennessee who is just getting belligerent that Matt is simply asking, hey, what's a woman? What's the truth? And this guy just didn't want to answer, answer the question because he knew he was trapped. Anyway, just ask, are you saying you don't know racism's wrong? Are you saying you don't know that slavery's wrong? Is it objectively true? And can you objectively know that slavery the antebellum slavery, the kind of slavery where you kidnap people based on their race and you force them to work for you. Are you saying you can't know that's wrong? Are you saying you can't know that murder's wrong? And why do you seem to know that abortion is a right? Why do you seem to know, if you can't know objective truth, that same-sex marriage is a right? Why do you claim to know that there's nothing wrong with, say, homosexual behavior or pedophile behavior? Oh you, oh, you, oh, you think better, pedophile behavior is wrong? Oh, how do you know that? Why do you say that you know that misgendering people is wrong? Why do you say you know that preventing young people from getting gender-affirming care is wrong? You know what gender-affirming care is, according to the Biden administration now? That is, you have to affirm children as young as three years old. If they, if they claim they're the opposite sex of what they really are, you have to affirm them in that, according to the Stalin, oh, sorry, the Biden administration. You have to affirm them in that. That wasn't a Freudian slip. I was just looking at my, I was just looking at my sheet here and I have Stalin on it for another point. But no, the Biden administration on Trans Visibility Day back in March basically put out a memo that said, you have to give gender-affirming care. And it's only under the most extreme circumstances that the government would take that child away from you. Do you see what they're doing here, ladies and gentlemen? They are setting up this, a, a scenario whereby the government could come into your home, take your three-year-old boy out of your home because he thinks he's a girl, and you don't affirm that. And yet there are people out there that saying you can't know objective truth, and these are the same people who are saying that kid objectively, if he's... If he's biologically a boy and he says he's a girl, he's a girl. This is madness. 
And by the way, if you're claiming you don't know or can't know objective truth, how do you, how do you know the Bible is objectively wrong about sexual ethics? How do you know that the Bible has errors? A lot of progressive Christians say, well, you know, the Bible's not an error and it has errors. Do you know you can't know the truth? Or let me put it another way. You have to know the truth in order to detect an error. There's no way to detect errors unless you know what the truth is. It presupposes you know what the truth is to say, hey, that's an error. So if you're going to say you can't know objective truth, then you have to say you can't know whether or not the Bible is objectively true or false. You can't say the Bible has errors in it if you don't know what objective truth is. How can you say there is no hell if you can't know objective truth? Except for maybe, say, Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. Yeah, maybe they, maybe they go to hell, at least for a time anyway. You objectively know that? And you know more about the afterlife than Jesus. How is that? Did you accomplish and predict, or did, did you predict and accomplish your own resurrection from the dead? Why would you accept your own authority? Oh, this goes back to the authority of the self. Why would you accept your own authority and not the authority of, of a person who claimed and proved to be God by rising from the dead? Why would you accept your own authority rather than his? Oh, you, you, you claim it's objectively true that Jesus is not the only way to salvation? How do you know that? If you can't know objective truth? In fact... For the folks who claim there is no objective truth, notice that these people have to rely on objective truth to say there's injustice in the world. You know, they bring forth all, all kinds of stats and stories to say that there's injustice in the world. Here's a question you might ask. Are the stats and stories that you cite to show that there is injustice in the world, are those stats and stories objectively true? Well, you, you say you can't know objective truth, but you say those stats and stories are objectively true. Look, you can't have it both ways. If they are not objectively true, then you haven't proven your case. You can't say that reason and evidence are irrelevant or that reason and evidence are power plays and then use reason and evidence to support your position. This is, an, this is incoherent, ladies and gentlemen. And unfortunately, many people don't care that they're incoherent nowadays. I mean, how do you reason with people who don't want to reason? Well, <laughs> you, you, really, you really can't. All you can do is love them, and that doesn't mean approving of everything they do. You can just treat them kindly, but tell them the truth, and pray for them, and then wait. It's about all you can do. There's only two ways that people will govern other people. And that is either through principle, truth, or through power. And notice that the people who claim there is no objective truth are the ones who aren't trying to get at objective truth because they don't think you can get at it, despite the fact that they're claiming that there's truth, the truth that there is no objective truth. What they do is they cancel you. They use power to stifle you. They tell you you ought not be able to say what you want to say that you ought not be able to use reason and evidence because those are just power plays to support your position. By the way, do you know what this does? Do you know what this does to the pursuit of truth? Do you know what this does, say, for, let's say, journalism? You've probably heard that uh, we should just take a person's lived experience over reason and evidence, that a person's lived experience trumps reason and evidence. 
Well, if journalists adopt that, and it appears like they have, you're, 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 you're going to tend to get activist journalism or activism journalism, journalism that's trying to promote a point or trying to promote some sort of ideological position, then you are getting a journalistic piece that actually is searching for the truth. Because if a person's lived experience trumps the truth, then what you're going to get in these articles is a person's lived experience. And you're going to get people trying to advocate for that lived experience and the implications of it rather than the real truth. You may have heard that anecdotes are anecdotes. They're not necessarily evidence. Sure, an anecdote might be true in a person's life, but that isn't necessarily true of the rest of society. It may be an outlier. It may not demonstrate that the rest of society is that way. You need good data, good survey data, good evidence from a a sample, a big sample size of that group to make to make inferences about the entire group. And yet people don't want to do that. They just want to take one isolated story and say, this is true of the entire society. You can't do that. You've got to get good stories, or I should say good survey data to figure out what's really going on within a, within a society, not just an individual story here or there, an individual anecdote here or there. But if a person's lived experience trumps good social science research methods, then that's what you're going to get in journalism. That's what you're going to get in leftists from leftist seminaries now. You're going to get a person's lived experience. And they're going to, they're going to basically poo-poo the objective truth of the scriptures because a person's lived experience doesn't comport or doesn't agree with what the scriptures say. And just like we've said before, when it comes to the new atheists, the new atheists, I've said before, will exempt themselves from their own theories. For example, they'll they'll claim everybody's a molecular machine, except them. They're not molecular machines. They can reason to the truth, even though the rest of us can't. Or Daniel Dennett will say, consciousness is an illusion. One wonders if if he was conscious when he said that. But he doesn't think his consciousness is an illusion. He needs his consciousness to write books to tell other people that their consciousness is an illusion. So the new atheists are exempting themselves from their own theories, and so are the progressive Christians. They're exempting themselves from their own theories. On one hand, they're saying there is no objective truth. On the other hand, they're saying it's objectively true that society's unjust. It's objectively true that same-sex marriage is right. It's objectively true that abortion is right. It's objectively true that Jesus... Um, that Jesus was wrong about certain things, or it's objectively true that the Bible has errors, despite the fact you can't know what errors are unless you know what truth is. So they're exempting themselves from their own theories. They have a list a mile of a mile long of objective truths they claim to know, while claiming there are no objective truths. My mentor, Dr. Norman Geiser, used to say this, it's easy to smell a rotten egg, it's hard to lay a better one. Yeah, it's easy to smell a rotten egg. It's hard to lay a better one. It's easy to say you're wrong, but it's harder to say here's what's right. We'll talk a lot more about this right after the break. In the meantime, don't forget about the Cold Case Christianity course starting this week with Jay Warner Wallace, Detective Wallace, and also a couple of weeks later, 
We've got two courses coming up, why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist, and also a I don't have enough faith to be an atheist course for kids who are between sixth and eighth grade. It's called Let's Get Real. I'll tell you more about it in a minute. Don't go anywhere. Yes, we finally have curriculum across virtually every grade level. We've got Let's Get Real, that's a curriculum, and an online course which starts September 26. It's based on the I don't have enough faith to be an atheist method, but it's for sixth to eighth graders. Uh, the great Shanda Fulbright will be teaching that online. I co-wrote the curriculum with her. And that same day, September 26th, we're also going to do the Why I Still Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist program. That's for anybody high school and up. I'll be the instructor there. So parents, uh, you can now take your kids through the material at the same time you're going through it. So you can take Why I Still Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me and your sixth to eighth grader, your middle school, junior high kid can take Let's Get Real with Shanda Fulbright at the same time online. You're just taking different uh, versions of basically the same course, age appropriate versions. And then you guys can talk about it. Uh, so if you're a homeschooler or you're just someone that wants to help your child learn more about why Christianity is true and how to defend it, especially when you get stories like the stories we've been talking about today, where a person brought up in a Christian home suddenly as a result of going to say public school and getting a bunch of their information they get from their smartphones is now uh, theologically and politically left. They've pretty much abandoned most of the faith. It makes sense to ground them in the truth. So go to crossexamine.org and click on online courses and you'll see all that there. Or actually, the, probably the easiest way of doing it is go to crossexamine.org, click on resources, and then apologetics curriculum. That's the best way of doing it. Resources and then apologetics curriculum. We have curriculum from second to fifth grade, then sixth to eighth grade, and then ninth grade and up. All based on the same method we use to show that Christianity is true. It's just age appropriate at each level. So check all that out, crossexamine.org, click on resources, apologetics, curriculum. All right, just before the break, I was repeating what my mentor, Dr. Norman Geiser, used to say. It's easy to smell a rotten egg. It's hard to lay a better one. That means that people who say, well, you can't know objective truth or Christianity's false or the Bible's not true, they are actually trying to lay a better egg. They're saying, your egg is rotten, Christian, but I have a better egg. Well, they rarely say that. They just try and say you're wrong without admitting that when they're saying you're wrong, they're saying something else is right. That's what they're saying. Well, what is that other thing they think is right? What is that other worldview they think is right? In fact, uh, Philip Johnson famously said, he who is a skeptic in one set of beliefs is a true believer in another set of beliefs. So if you're a so-called progressive Christian and you're saying, well, evangelical Christianity is wrong, you know, the Bible's not inerrant. Jesus isn't the only way. Uh, the biblical sexual ethic is wrong. That's implying that you believe that, say, the LGBTQ biblical outlook, I should say the LGBTQ sexual outlook is right when you say that. Or you're saying that Jesus isn't. When you're saying he's not the only way, you're saying, well, it's true that there are many ways to God, for example. 
Or when you say that the Bible's wrong about certain things, you're implying you know what's right about those things the Bible's wrong about. In other words, every time you try and say there's a rotten egg, you're trying to lay a better one. You're implying you know what the true good egg is. Well, what is that true good egg? What evidence do you have for that position? What evidence do you have that we ought to, we ought to just have sex with whoever we want to have sex with? Why is that a good thing? Who said? Uh, why, why do you think uh, there are many ways to God? How, how, how does God, if he's infinitely just, how does he allow unjust people to go unpunished? It's not arbitrary when Jesus says, oh, I'm just the only way. It's because there's no other way an infinitely just being. And by the way, you progressive Christians, you believe in justice. That's why you're, you're complaining about so many things in our society. Oh, you believe in justice? Define it. What, what, what is justice and what is injustice? If you, where does justice come from? Why do you think what you believe is just and what other people believe is unjust? If it's just your opinion, well, why should we take that as fact? If it's just your truth and not the truth, that's just your opinion. So you're believing in justice. The only way justice can truly exist, objective justice, not just my opinion, not just your opinion, is if God exists. Because his nature is what it means to be just. If he doesn't exist, then everything's just a matter of opinion. Just one person's opinion against another person's opinion. But if God really does exist, and he is just, in fact, if he's infinitely just, then all of us are in trouble. Why are we all in trouble? Because we've all been unjust. We've all been unjust. And if he's infinitely just, he can't allow unjust people to go unpunished. So what does he do? He has to punish an innocent substitute in our place in order to not punish us. So he can remain just and be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 3, verse 26. In other words, to say Jesus is the only way is not an arbitrary claim. It's based on the nature of reality. It's based on the nature of justice and the nature of love. Because God, being infinitely just, is also a being who's infinitely loving. And so while he is infinitely just, he doesn't want to punish us. So what does he do? He punishes himself in our place because he's loving. So you progressive Christians out there who are claiming things are unjust or unjust, you have to have a standard of justice. And that very standard of justice points out to us that we're not just ourselves and we're going to be punished unless unless someone takes our punishment for us. And that's what Jesus does. That's what Christianity is all about. So for you to deny the atonement or for you to deny Jesus is the only way, you are assuming that what you know about those things is true. How do you know they're true? Then what is the standard of justice if God isn't? What is the standard of love if God isn't? You? Me? No. There's a standard outside of ourselves. So you're claiming to have a worldview, and you have to give evidence for that worldview. You just can't smell a rotten egg. you got to lay a better one. Atheists, when you claim, well, God didn't create the universe. There is no design. There is no objective morality. You then have to explain how this universe is the way it is in the absence of God. You just can't say, well, I lack a belief in your God. Well, maybe you do, but what is your explanation for why the world exists, the universe exists? Why is you, what is your explanation for why the, the universe is fine-tuned to an unbelievable, incomprehensible level of precision? What is your explanation 
for why murder is objectively wrong. Not just my opinion, not your opinion. What is your explanation for why we can think? Why there are these laws of logic? Why the universe is set up on a mathematical grid? Why our minds can ascertain truths about the real world outside of our skulls and we can we can describe reality in the language of math. What is your explanation for that? The best explanation is, is this entire creation is orderly and set up on a orderly mathematical grid because the ultimate reality, the reality that created all this is a mind. And that would be God. What is your explanation for the evidence for the empty tomb and the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. How did all this start from Jews in the first century who thought they were God's chosen people, who didn't think a man could claim to be God, that would be blasphemy, and didn't think someone would rise from the dead in the middle of time? What would cause these Jews, who again thought they were God's chosen people, to say that all this happened? To get themselves beaten, tortured, and killed? Why would they do that? Were they all mistaken? How were they mistaken? They could have gone to the tomb and taken out the body and said, oh yeah, we made a mistake. He didn't rise from the dead. No. What's your explanation for the Old Testament prophecy? What's your explanation for how the church began from Jerusalem when it could have been easily refuted by the Romans and the Jews? They could have just gone to the tomb and taken the body out. What's your explanation for near-death experiences where people have remote viewing? where they can detect things miles away from their body when they're momentarily dead, and they can we can verify that. There was an accident on 3rd and Main. I just saw it. The guy's on the operating table the whole time. What's your explanation for that if we're just molecules in motion, if we're just moist robots? You've got a lot of explaining to do, as they say, and yet some of you are the same people who are claiming there's no objective truth, yet you've got a list of objective truths a mile long, and you're also claiming the objective truths Christians claim to know are somehow wrong. This is one long rant, isn't it? I'm sorry. I don't know. I just think we got to be good at thinking, ladies and gentlemen. If we're not good at thinking, um, we're not going to find the truth. And if you don't find the truth, you're going to be in trouble. I think my friend Greg Kokel put it this way. Emotion makes life fun, but logic makes life safe. Yeah, you can have fun for a short period of time, denying the truth, suppressing the truth, going your own way, but in the long run, it's a disaster. Logic is necessary. Reason is necessary. Sure, people have used reason as a power play. I get that. But when you say, if, if you're going to say that logic and reason are oppressive, then the person claiming logic and reason are oppressive are oppressive themselves because they are using logic and reason to say that. You see, I mean, you just can't get away from it. Just because people misuse certain things doesn't mean you ought not use them. We have to use logic. We have to use reason to follow the truth, to know the truth, to spread the truth and to ultimately be united with the truth and our loved ones in the afterlife. Jesus said, I am the truth. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What, what does that imply when Jesus says that the truth will set you free? It implies that if you don't have the truth, you're in bondage. You're in bondage, ladies and gentlemen. You're, you're being deceived. Why do you want to be deceived? You shouldn't want to be deceived. Don't buy into the nonsense that you can't know objective truth. Oh, you might not know it absolutely. 
in all cases, but you can know it enough to make reasonable decisions about reality. And those that claim you can't are using reason to say that. They're defeating themselves. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're anywhere near Brandon, Florida this weekend, I hope to see you down there. And don't forget about our online courses coming up. We've got Jim Wallace, Cold Case Christianity, beginning next week. And then why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist for adults, high school and adults. And let's get real, examining the evidence for God, which is our sixth to eighth grade class. And then we have a curriculum for second to fifth graders. Just go to crossexamine.org and see them there. And Lord willing, I will see you here next week. God bless.